Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we come back with another very new topic that we never talk about, AppSec. <laughs> cool, cool wonder. So today, I'm, uh, I'm here with my good friend, Aladdin Emobayed, that is uh, the AppSec and Tech Lead for Robinhood, and is joining us to talk a little bit about AppSec, cyber, and all things cyber. So, Aladdin, let me pass the microphone to you and tell us a little bit more about what you've been up about and what are the latest news from you. Sure. Thanks for having me. So as you said, I am currently at Robinhood. Uh, I am the uh, AppSec engineering technical lead. Before Robinhood, actually, I, uh, I was at Netflix. I was uh, in the AppSec team as well, uh, focusing more on engineering uh, side of things. A little bit of uh, background by my career, actually, which could be interesting. Uh, so I started back my career back in 2007, and I was... Um, an IT uh, web developer. Uh, I started working at a small startup company in Amman, Jordan. And at that time, actually, it was really an interesting field for me to start building services and building web applications. It was very common at that day to see applications being built in PHP. And uh, <laughs> we shall not mention PHP. <laughs> we shall not mention PHP. Well, the the interesting th- thing about PHP is that most of applica- most applications were built at that time were relied too much on having the software developer have to think about everything, including security. And so, getting things wrong is very, very uh, can like getting things wrong can get really, really fast. And so I remember one day I was reviewing code and and I saw exec shell uh, exists everywhere in, in one of the libraries and like is that normal like what if what if somebody actually just randomly provided an input there and w- what could happen actually so I was I became like really interested in the subject and at that time actually I had um, an opportunity to join another startup called Mactube uh, which later was acquired by Yahoo so. When I joined Yahoo, there was a question of like, who's who's the security team at this company? And at that time, there wasn't really a security team. <laughs> <laughs> we we pretty much relied heavily on the software engineers themselves to understand the security implications or doing code reviews and things like this. And, and I really was really interested in the subject. And I said, you know, um, maybe I want to be a security engineer. Maybe I'm the security team. <laughs> Maybe I am the security engineer. And the first thing I did actually is quickly writing like quick grip script to find all these exec shell, nice. eval, all these things in PHP. And like the results were massive. That time I also, I, I was like, mm, you know, like security is a really big field and I wanted to expand my knowledge. So I... Uh, Started the master's in information security at that time also in PSUT, one of the really good universities in Jordan. And after finishing the master's degree, I uh, got the opportunity to actually move to Silicon Valley. 
And this is where I uh, moved with Yahoo as well. And I became more focused on red teaming and penetration testing. I spent three years after that at Yahoo learning every details I could learn about reverse engineering, exploit development, penetration testing, all kind of penetration testings, as well as red teaming. The, the journey also took me to uh, understand how Silicon Valley companies actually operate and how the, uh, they, they look at secu- uh, security and how they actual scale security. And that was kind of like a really interesting and challenging subject uh, for me to grasp. And then I, uh, after a couple of years staying at Yahoo, I, uh, I decided I probably, you know, like all the knowledge that I gained in doing red teaming and pen testing, I'll probably now need to switch and do more pen testing, uh, more, sorry, uh, building services. Uh, so I moved to Netflix and uh, joined the AppSec team. And this is where I got the opportunity to focus more on OSS dependencies. Uh, open source dependencies, understanding the security implications of this subject, supply chain attacks, and things like this. And now it's massive in the industry. Everybody's focused on that. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, look at Sneak now. Sneak is a $8 billion company. And mm. just to give you an illustration of how big of an opportunity in business, if somebody is interested in like looking at the supply chain and open source dependencies, it's it's really really complex and hard problem to solve. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think maybe this this falls on the on the things that are broken or things to solve. I think AppSec is becoming more and more in the face of organization with you know more attack being driven by AppSec or any company being fundamentally a digital company. You had the more traditional one that are more you know still infrastructure based, but AppSec is now permeating in any kind of industry, especially, I don't know if, if you played a little bit about with uh, the no code, low code kind of thing so that everybody can, you know, throw some code or, or throw some blocks and build some code and build a, a web app. And then, you know, you had the experience of of, uh, of Silicon Valley where security is it, it definitely not the first thing that is in there. <laughs> and maybe I am the security team <laughs> when they get acquired. <laughs> One random engineer, you now shall be the security engineer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but the problem is that then we narrate all this the technology, right? This technology becomes the, uh, maybe not the Netflix of the case because they were totally there, but at a certain point, they couple up together a website, then the, the important things were actually delivery, not security, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And one thing I also noticed about the industry shifting in the last 10 years is that Previously, you had to do, as a security engineer, you had to do a lot of work, a lot of work to get things into a, a good, secure, satisfying state. It felt to me in the last five years, I would say, that this becomes less of an issue as the shift towards more secure frameworks, more secure languages, uh, and more secure infrastructure things. I mean, the, the founding of, of Docker and uh, the fact that you can now build a lot of uh, services in containers and not worry about uh, cross-contamination and, and things like this, or just looking at frameworks where SQL injection was like, it's still a thing uh, these days, but it, it become less of an issue as people start doing uh, using frameworks like uh, Django or you know any, any other frameworks uh, in Node.js. There is also the this shift towards microservice architecture, 
which um, as well reduces a lot of uh, the boundaries uh, or or you can orchestrate well with microservice. I, I like your idea of uh, microservice architecture. You can still orchestrate, but still there is a lot of security that leads on engineers. Maybe there is a little bit of more collaboration, but there is still that factor of, I think, more maybe from the management side when security is, is expected from people. And maybe there is less work on, on the developer themselves, but there is also tons more code or feature produced, I think, nowadays in terms of amount of, uh, feature and other stuff produced and also i think everything is more integrated so everything has an api everything has a call somewhere so your attack exposure is not it's not anymore just your code but it's also as you rightfully say you know open source it becomes is becoming a big problem you know other repository that people can hijack that you don't have absolutely no control becomes a problem but also other supply chain that connect with you with your data your api and controlling that it becoming a different way to interpret the thing organization what do you think i totally see what you're saying and considering the amount of complexities some companies have and detect that it becomes really nightmare for cisos and for security architects to get their ideas uh, bought in from like from like leadership perspective the shift i would say the shift towards a new cutting edge technologies like considering like service mesh, for example, or the shift towards having uh, more more of like a microservice as you described it, brings a lot of values to include security by default. When I was at Netflix, um, we had a lot of what we call paved road practices or paved road, paved road controls, which allows you to not just embed security, into your organization, but scale it without worrying too much about if things get get wrong. And if you have a central team that just responsible for doing paved road controls, and they are basically security experts, then it becomes less of an issue because you're not relying too much on the software engines themselves to build that particular security control. Think about it as as simple as authorization system. Well, as if authorization is simple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not that simple. And uh, I remember when when I was uh, at my, you know, early career. In my early career, I remember we had asked a lot of engineers and software engineers to like, can you please fix this problem by you know adding this specific filter and. As things becoming polyglot and uh, the complexity increases, it becomes really difficult for us to say like, okay, use this library, use this library to fix it. And so having a central team that does paved road and provide the necessary tools, um, Robinhood, we have a secure foundation team and the secure foundation team, their job is to kind of provide these type of uh, services uh, that will help engineers implement those without us worrying too much about are they secure or not. Uh, because we we build them, we understand th- their security uh, posture. This also would reduce the cognitive load on developers' mind because developers have a lot of things to worry about, and you don't want them to be security experts. You want them to be security conscious, but not security experts. I, l- I like the idea. Yes, and you have to have that um, central team that helps them basically build more of these security services. 
No, I like the idea. I think it's uh, it, it definitely shows that, that it works because fundamentally you you can be proactive. You can start building a library to interface with core service, like you say, authentication and standardize that. And then there is just one way to secure authentication. And there is one way to do authentication. And that's great in tech company, but then in legacy company like financial institution or the more traditional, you know, non-tech aware company, even having a security function is, is difficult, not even mentioning a security engineer function that secure things that way. So the, the, the traditional things is buy versus build. And so you have this cobbled up solution, you cobbled up authentication system, you know, traditional IT directory, LDAP, you know, Oracle sometimes, or, <laughs> or, or very, or very legacy thing. So it's, I think paved way and paved road is a great tactic to actually think forward and to remove that technology debt or prevent that technology debt or security technology debt in development team and saying, you know, you do security, you are aware of security. So maybe you don't inject or you don't, you know, you validate some code, but then, you know what, this is an, this is a library to do input validation and just use this as part of your all inbound and outbound code. And then you, you're good. You know, they're aware of it. They're aware there is a standard way to do things. There is a pattern and it's good. But then how do we how do we solve the problem with the remaining 90% organization that are around the world and they still use, you know, legacy codes or, you know, they buy IoT device and they install it in, you know, a gas pump or, you know, your electricity light, your, your core infrastructure. And we saw how much havoc that has caused during the last year of pandemic. How do we solve that? That's, that's a challenge. That's definitely a, a big challenge. And one thing to add to that as well is that nobody actually understands your infrastructure and company as you, you're the person who works at that company. So using vendor solutions might work temporarily, but it might not. It's like a band-aid basically, but it not doesn't actually solve the problem as the dynamics of the organization changes and the technology also changes vendors don't adapt as quickly as if you actually built something internally. So that's one thing. The other thing also is companies, like every company has a tech debt. And that, that is not something I would say is a bad thing because you can, every day you, you go and you see like tech debt being born, right? You, you'll <laughs> see like a specific teams having like to work on a service and ship it, right? It's not a great model. Um, totally, 100% agree. It's not a great model. Let's blame Silicon Valley. <laughs> let's blame Silicon Valley. Let's blame VC and Silicon Valley for that. <laughs> yeah, more fast break things. But at the same time, you're you're you want to move at the speed of the business is is moving the the acceleration that the business is moving at. And so there are situations where TechDate will have to be created, right? But you try to avoid creating as possible. And one of the things, for example, we did in my previous job is let's dedicate just one sprint or two sprints every quarter, one sprint every quarter or every six months, just go and tackle TechDit. Um, go and talk to engineers, get them on board into understanding how they can move away from this particular thing. And then also within the AppSec, like I have seen AppSec teams uh, talking to like my fellow colleagues at other companies they are themselves creating TechDit within their engineering department. <laughs> yeah, independencies. Yeah. So I think, you know, be like the first people like should 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 have 
you know, start tackling this dictate is actually that the, the team, the security team, just gonna give a good image to the organization of how things should operate at their business. But give me an example, for example, of security team, because it's quite interesting, the angle of security team creating technology there by sticking to one solution or one vendor, maybe. What is what is a typical example that you see or, or bad story since we'd be close to, holy, uh, to Halloween? Yeah, I, most, you know, commonly you see, for example, um, AppSec engineers creating on-the-shelf, you know, they, they're using basically on-the-shelf scanner or they created like, something that would just scan for a particular thing without thinking about the big picture of like, we actually need an automation engine that uh, can be maintained, optimized, and can serve the whole company. I've seen cases or scenarios where security teams, they create specific scripts uh, that do specific things. And you come after one year and this particular script or library that they built is not maintained. Um, it's it's using a lot of OSS libraries that are outdated. It could also some of them actually have maybe security vulnerabilities. So the fact that the security you, not being secure. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember um, there was uh, a guy who actually found an XSS in an XSS scanning tool. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so why why did that happen? Well, take that right. You're you're creating this scanner and you're. You're thinking, you know, this this should find all the things, but at some point of time, you're just not maintaining it enough or not taking care of all the security vulnerabilities. You're not eating your own dog food, as we say. In Correct. English. Yeah, that that's precisely it. And I think that that's that's a little bit of the uh, victim of uh, the security team is never. Uh, sometimes they feel that they're special guys, but actually not. And a, a very clear example is, you know, the DevSecOps or the security champ. Well, not a security champ, but a security engineers being injected in a lot of so-called DevSecOps transformation, where it just security person landed without, you know, adapting to the style of how development team thinks of sprint planning and so on. And and I see the best security transformation that I participated in that were very successful because you actually participate in the sprint planning. You do, as you say, retrospective, you dedicate maybe a sprint, or you agree with the team of maybe this week we're not fixing any bug, but maybe we have this target in this month, so we dedicate half of this sprint to this. You actually collaborate by talking with the development team in developer function or in developer language or something that can relate, not just fix security or run this scan and you'll be okay and fix everything that comes on the side of it and then integrate it in every launch and maybe wait until the scanner will spits you out some result. And if your code is like, you know, gigs, then maybe wait a few hours <laughs> before the scanner <laughs> spits out the result. And, and, and not having that conversation over again or not maintaining their own tools, you know, and, and seeing tools is actually great. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. I think that there's been a little bit uh, breaking point with the security revolution. I think security team are still 
Maybe in Silicon Valley is a little bit different because it's a more tech culture and security team are finding their pace with Netflix leading the road, you know, Robinhood being a very great example of paving the road. And, and maybe that's that's going to be the second, you know, DevSecOps revolution. But a lot of organizations I still see are, they don't even have an AppSec team or they're still lagging behind and security team are still, you know, mandating policy to development team or not, not talking their language and talking their DevSecOps. What have you seen? I really like this, um, the way you described it, is that adding more paved road things will definitely reduce the risk overall for the organization. And I'm a big fan of what we call the security partnership. The security partnership approach is basically literally like having many CISOs embedded into teams and feeling what they feel, you know, the pain that they have and understanding what their problems and getting a lot of context. Because I tend to see a lot of security engineers in general or security orgs being completely isolated from the rest of the org. Like if you want to have a successful security program, you have to communicate directly with developers. You have to be engaged directly with engineers, hear, hear, hear their feedback, understand what they think about solutions and partner with them, not tell them, you know, you need to fix those three, five, 10 things that you found you're using your pen test or threat model. That, that That's not a great model to scale. I mean, I totally understand that pen tests and threat modeling is, is very, very important for organization to be able to identify the risks. But at the same time, you're missing the point that your security people should be in, involved and if they are involved enough and they're making and agreeing with a lot of decisions with the engineers then you're going to see more and more of less need to do more like threat modeling and pen testing I, I think threat modeling and pen testing is good as a way of validating i think there is a space in upsec of tooling there is a space in upsec of threat modeling and 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 you know the security check or the security governance that is the pen testing and I call it security governance because it's not it's it's the last bit that you should do pen testing or maybe red teaming to validate uh, stuff that you find. But I think I really like what you said about the mini CISO in the organization where you actually start thinking about AppSec in a risk way. So effectively, you talk in a team in risk function. So do we build or do we reduce our technology risk or our security risk? Uh, with either reducing the tech debt or reducing the security tech debt. And I think that's that's a lot of stuff that we saw uh, with AppSec Phoenix and that, that did work in the past to actually spin AppSec in a risk and quantification way and, you know, prioritize because, you know, paved road is great, but not a lot of organization can do it. And having that kind of risk-based conversation really twist the problem on the head where the application team are actually the owner of the risk and then they decide they kind of self-manage themselves that if you trace it back and it it kind of goes back to the original DevOps kind of mentality where the team can actually self-manage and decide do we maintain this level of risk? Can we actually justify this level of risk? And it's all about a risk-based conversation and risk is everything as technology, security is, is not going to market, it's not developing these features. So I think I really like that that approach, and I think it's it's forward looking. It is definitely forward looking, and you're actually building a good relationship with the developers, and they they feel that they are 
involved, right, in the dis- security decisions. Um, it, it's they're empowered. They're they're empowered. Yeah, one hundred percent. And when they feel that they're empowered and they are part of any security decisions, they feel like they're part of the decision itself. So they will be having more agreement to do more of these things in the future. And they'll defend it. They'll defend their application and their security decision. I think the, the, the nice conversation is, you know, uh, security or developer actually telling other people off for not doing security thing or for not using a specific library. Or you really see the transformation when when two teams start helping each other or, you know, find or doing code review or cross code review and, and finding security things or, or suggesting what things have work and what things haven't worked. And it's kind of something we, we build in also in AppSec Phoenix, the, the, the idea of collaboration of where, where you can put, you know, I solved this with this thing and everybody that has the same problem get notified because it works and, and it creates that positive attitude, a positive feeling about security. It's not security being a no, but security of, yay, I fixed something and I can tell you and I can help you. We really saw when 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 security, when development team were start collaborating, we really saw the shift in mentality and 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 they were more happy <laughs> yeah when talking about security i think that that was my my the reason why i started i started up like phoenix but yeah it's 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 the feeling of of seeing security not being any more like oh a security report oh another pen test damn it <laughs> yes yes totally agree um we, we don't want to be like the police you know person who like taps like police nobody that yeah here's a ticket you know uh <laughs> i mean there is an element of that because you need to do you need to agree on something i think there is there is still space for sla there is sp- still space for kpi target policy because the organization needs to self-govern especially if it's like not five people in a shed building a thing and i don't think they have kpi in a shed <laughs> yeah when you're in that mode i really like uh quote from uh it's not really a quote, but like a say, basically, from Daniel Missler. He's he's my manager, Robin Hood. He said, like, we really here, like, to achieve one goal: don't get hacked, right? And if you think about it, like, if I want to take this, don't get hacked, and think about what are the things that I need to do in order for me not to get hacked, it's totally different from one org to another, right? If it's a bank, it's totally different things. If it's a media company. You know, if it's a, a social media, com- it's totally different things, right? But then you, when you ask yourself this question, you end up with like, oh, I have to do all these things, right? Which one will I have to fix first so I don't get hacked, right? But you can also think about it from a different perspective. This kind of like gives you the ability to appropriately like define your priority list, right? So... Go to any organization and, w- I mean, during the interview, you, you just tell them, like, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? You always hear one more than one thing, right? It's yes. it's impossible to say, like, oh, I'm only worried about this thing. And if we fix it, we're all good, right? You're always And if you really want to scare them, it's like, what is your most critical asset that you want to defend? And then you're going to hear like, a completely <laughs> different opinion. <laughs> what, yeah. is, what are your crown jewels? Yeah, crown jewels. And so defining, defining um, a model that can scale, it, it, it is really impossible to scale that with just hiring people. And so you have to kind of quickly shift the mentality and, and let the, the tooling and let the automation define that for you. And so it gives you, it gives you this 
comprehensive understanding of, cool, I have these 50,000 assets in my organization. I have this number of bonds. I have a, a full picture of the whole organization because I built all these asset management tools and, and scanners and automation that would allow me to make better informed decision, right? Because if you don't have all that stuff, it's going to be really hard for you to answer the question, am I going to be hacked, right? And even I think it's, it's, it's more important, if I'm getting hacked, how much am I going to bleed? I think that's the second point that I usually challenge organization to, okay, you, you even know your asset, but you know which one is the most important asset or how much damage. And I think Travis and the guys on Netflix, you know, you guys on Netflix have done a great job of, of start moving the dial on the quantification of, of risk. Of, you know, it's not just risk, but how much am I going to hurt if this service goes down, if this goes down? There is, There are critical, uh, critical services that maybe don't generate even revenue, like the authentication system in Netflix. But if that goes down, the whole thing falls apart. So the structure and, and integrity thing, and as you rightfully said, Things like a hacker thinks like, how am I going to get attacked? And based on that and based on your business intelligence, you, you cross these two things, you have the perfect way to prioritize things, I think. Yeah. How do you appropriately protect your crown jewels? And the first step would be just really, what are these crown jewels and how do I identify them all the time? What if there's a new crown jewel coming up next month and I our team don't know about? Um, and so that's why you need to have lots lots of automation to tell you a lot of things that you would otherwise have to have someone every month go and, and find them manually. So that's a, that's a pretty like important factor when thinking about scaling the, the APSIC Programs. fundamental program yeah, at these larger like organizations. Yeah, and I think what I really like of Netflix is, is the original, the original uh, kind of mentality of being brutally honest, you know, and, and in a lot of organizations, you tend to waffle about the fact that you know your organization, not even a startup knows their, their own entire asset landscape. And until and unless you do that consistently, unless you start enumerating consistently, you're never going to know because the organization change on a daily basis, especially if you have more than even if you have one uh, one single dev team, you know, you can spin service and you don't even know. Uh, I just discovered that we have a new account on the other day. <laughs> and and, and it's just because we, we, we consistently monitor and map all this stuff automatically and map the risk level. But only in that way, I know that there is something new popping up or there is something critical popping up. And the team are actually uh, empowered and, and, and are enforcing that themselves. Um, but that's the only way, you know, nobody can admit, you know, you know, your crown jewel. And I've seen organizations that spend like millions just to find assets and define, you know, the business impact. Because if you do that later stage, like pen test is going to be extremely painful <laughs> to discover who owns this server. Let's disconnect and let's see if it's even alive. <laughs> and that's usually see the if somebody complain, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just leave it away. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. We almost come to the to the end of the podcast, and uh, and I think we we shared a little bit of positive, a little bit of doom and gloom. But if you if you want to leave, we have a tradition on the podcast that we leave everybody with a smile and a good and positive feeling. So I think you touched point that we're getting better. But if you want to leave with a message on upsec, uh, what would that be? Yeah, I think as as I said in the beginning, we're heading towards 
really a positive upsick. Like one thing I would say is companies, all companies are growing and things are evolving pretty fast. The good news is that all these services that get spun up and all the infrastructure components, they are built on a good foundation. So the, the future is definitely going to bring a lot of bright sides from the AppSec perspective. But if you really want to continue to evolve as those type of infrastructures evolve as well, you will have to start automating things now and getting a full picture of your infrastructure and your company organization. Because otherwise, hiring people to do this is going to be extremely difficult. And we've seen this pretty successful at you know major tech companies um, that uh, scaling automation is definitely the key for your organization to be able to scale AppSec program and security organization in general. Continue to uh, look at ways to produce more paved road. And that is the key also to kill a bug class as opposed to actually finding vulnerabilities. I like the idea. And I think from, from my perspective, I like the idea that, you know, OSP is becoming cool or is everybody's talking about it. And maybe one day we will not need OWASP anymore. I doubt it. Or the top 10 <laughs> will be just a dream in the past. Top um, one. <laughs> <laughs> it will be just upsec as a, as a general. But I think that there is more framework. There is PHP still there. You know, a metaverse or a, how now it's known as metaverse. It's still a lot yeah. of PHP. <laughs> so we will, we will not kill those things. Um, but ideally... Uh, we shifting towards more secure framework, more security awareness, and more security by design framework. So I, I I love the fact that a lot of cross-site scripting and other stuff are getting knocked down the list of our top 10. So I think we're getting better in AppSec. I think there is much more code to fix. <laughs> so the yeah. good news is that and we're always going to have a job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's really good news, right? And uh, always... <laughs> Always take the, the, the journey as a marathon, not a sprint. A lot of yeah, companies no, try to move faster. Um, you know, let's do this and do that. Like, like slow down and, and you're going to like do better in the future. Yeah, unfortunately, and, that's and, not a Silicon Valley approach. But anyway, we, we almost come at the, at the end of the time. Uh, Aladdin, yeah. if, if somebody wants to follow you, see what uh, your, your latest post or your latest uh, conference when we're going to go back to actually doing conference, <laughs> where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter. I am uh, slash X0 um, Shield Rider. And also you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Aladdin Al-Mubayid. And also you can you, you can find my contact information in the in the link below. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Aladdin. It was a pleasure to have you and discuss one of my favorite subjects that is AppSec <laughs> that I never <laughs> talk about. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And everybody stay safe and eliminate tech debt and security debt. <laughs> you as well. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 